Since this is Thanksgiving week, I'd like to ask you to think about a few of the things for which you are most thankful. Maybe five, ten things. Just be thinking about them for the next little while. What things, persons, places, or things have impressed you as being outstanding? It was the very first service ever held in this sanctuary. Pastor Epperson told us about this later when at the conclusion of the service, he was greeting the people out at the door, and presently a young boy, maybe seven or eight years old, looked up at him and said, Pastor, that was really cool. And the pastor, wanting to know more about what he was thinking, said, so what do you mean? What what was very cool? Uh, Was it something I said in my sermon? Was it the special music? What, What makes you say that was really cool? He said, no, Pastor, it wasn't your sermon, and it wasn't the music. It was the air conditioning. It was really cool in that sanctuary. That's been an issue all of these years. Do you you know that there are some spots in the sanctuary that are more comfortable than others? Have Have you found it yet? I'm thankful for air conditioning, though. For those who have been in 100-degree temperature with no air conditioning, it's something to be thankful for. But even though I'm thankful for air conditioning, it's not in the top 10 list of things for which I'm thankful. What are some? Several years ago, I got a hole-in-one at a golf tournament. Wow, I'll never forget that because I'm not even a good golfer. And it just went in the hole. I'll always remember that and be thankful for it. Several years ago also here in Orlando, I got to meet Shaquille O'Neal and have a chat with him. I'll always remember that. Got to work for 15 years as a volunteer with Arnold Palmer. That was fun, and that was something I'll never forget. But those things are not at the top of my list of things for which I am thankful today. I guess near the top would be the privilege of being married to Marion, and and the fact that she has allowed me to hang around for just shy of 60 years. Wow. Thank you. Or or our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. What wonderful privileges, and they're near the top of the list, but they're not at the very top. Let me explain a little bit later. Receiving God's call for pastoral ministry was a wonderful experience. Serving as a senior pastor for 50 full years, that was, that's great too, and I thank the Lord for it. But it's not number one. Let, let me share what number one is for me. I don't know what it might be for you, but maybe this is yours as well. In Colossians chapter 1, we read this. Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a privilege. Christ in me? How in the world could that ever happen? Let me read just a few of the verses that preceded this text so you can have an idea of what I'm thinking about who he is, this one who lives in me. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. I'm reading about the person who's taken up residence in me. Wow. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, has taken up residence in me. Over all of those years, I've read a lot of A.B. Simpson material, and he frequently spoke about the blessing of the indwelling Christ. He lives in me. I can't understand. How, how does he do that? I don't know. I don't know. The word mystery appears in our text, and maybe that's all I should answer as far as that question is concerned. How, how does he do it? Why does he do it? It's grace and grace alone. I, I have no merit at all to make that possible. It's him and him alone. Jesus Christ, God the Son, the one who transcends, is beyond, outside of, bigger than, all time, past, present, and future, beyond, transcending, all space, width, and depth, and height, and immeasurable. The, the one who transcends all matter, solid, gas, liquid. Jesus Christ, God the Son, dwells in me. Well, that being the case, I, I think it's probably advisable that I try to figure out how I can be a worthy host for such a guest. There's a hymn that we frequently sing, and thank you for the music today. Every bit of it was on spot. That goes, crown him, crown him, prophet and priest and king. So we'll narrow our thoughts just to those three titles, because there are many for Christ throughout the scriptures. Prophet and priest and king. Did you know that Jesus Christ is the greatest prophet priest, and king who ever lived. Just a couple of verses to show you that that's the case. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, we read, No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. But in Hebrews 3.3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, the greatest prophet who ever lived. Hebrews 5.4, Aaron was called by God to be a high priest. Hebrews 4.4, 4, Jesus, our high priest, is without sin. That's the greatest. No other high priest was ever without sin. Jesus is the greatest. 
1 Kings 4.31, King Solomon was wiser than any other man. Matthew 12, Jesus said of himself, now one greater than Solomon is here. The greatest prophet, priest, and king who has ever lived. And he's taken up residence in me. Prophet. Elisha was one of the most interesting and exciting prophets who ever lived. Through him, God healed the sick and raised the dead, proclaimed the word and prophesied the word. Elisha's responsibility as a prophet was to spend considerable time with God, enough so that he would know the heartbeat of God and then share that truth with the people. Elisha was a traveling prophet, went to many towns and cities, and one of the cities that he visited frequently was Shulam. In Shulam, there was a couple, wealthy couple, who got to know Elisha and welcomed him into their home for dinner. Scriptures say he was there frequently until one day they decided that they would build a second story on their house, a room upstairs, and give it to Elisha so he could stay there overnight or all week as long as he wanted and as often as he came through Shulam. And so they, they built that room. Now, being wealthy, they could have done anything they wanted with that room. They could have got a microwave and a television, and any, anything that they wanted they could have put in that room. But, but the scripture says it was just a bare room with a bed, a table, a lamp, and a chair. That's it. Just four articles of furniture. The idea was they wanted to please the one who would dwell there. And they knew that he had to spend considerable time meeting with God. There would be nothing in this room that would get in the way. Nothing that would distract him. Just what he needed. A bed, a chair, a table, and a lamp. And he was pleased. Jesus Christ, God the Son the world's greatest prophet has come to live in me. How can I be the best host I can possibly be for the world's greatest prophet? Simply by preparing a room for him in here that is not encumbered with all unnecessary things that make it impossible for me to be available to him and usable by him. The message of this passage is on usefulness. Am I an available and useful, thank-filled resident for God the Son? Priest. Samuel was just a boy when he heard God's call to become a priest. 
He was living at the temple, actually, because his mother had earlier dedicated him to the Lord. And so when he heard God's call, he communicated that call with Eli, the high priest. And uh, they had time to spend talking about this and praying about this because they lived there. The high priest lived in the temple. Aaron is probably one of the best-known high priests in the Bible. Let's take a walk with him on that trip to the temple or tabernacle, whichever you're reading about in the Old Testament. He chooses a sacrificial animal, and he carries it with him through the gate into what was called the outer court. He saw the altar of burnt offering where he sacrificed that animal and collected its blood in a container. He, he looked to his right and saw the laver, a place where he was involved in ceremonial cleansing because it would be necessary before we take another step further to be clean and to carry the sacrifice. He would go into the first of the inner compartments called the holy place. There he would see the lampstand, the altar of incense. There was another article of furniture that I've forgotten right now, but I'll come up with it. But he saw them all, and his assignment was to go to each of these stations and perform his responsibilities before he would be fully prepared to go through the veil into what was called the most holy place, the holy of holies. There was the mercy seat, and under the mercy seat, there was a copy of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and a plate of manna. And on top of the mercy seat was a, like a clear glass. And above were the cherubim who guarded the holiness of God and the Shekinah glory, God himself. And as God looked down through that glass, he could see the broken law. He could see the rejected authority because the rod was a symbol of God's choosing of Aaron as a high priest. When the people didn't want to accept it and had to be tested, but they found that it was true that God had authority to choose Aaron. And, and God saw that broken law and the rod that budded and the manna, which was a remembrance, reminded them of the time they were upset with the fact that all they had was manna. A God who provided was rejected. And, and God would see all of these things that represent the sins of his people. And Aaron's task was to secure the forgiveness of sins. And so he would spread that container of blood all over the mercy seat. 
And now God no longer could see through the glass to the broken law, the broken authority, broken the rejection. Now he saw only the sacrificial blood. And he secured forgiveness of sins for the people and then went back out of the tabernacle and the people were thrilled when they heard the bells ringing on the bottom of his robe because they knew that the responsibility had been fulfilled and their sins were forgiven. Jesus Christ is my priest. God the Son has taken up residence in this temple. How can I be a proper host for such a marvelous guest. I want to be a person who is available for his use because he's a prophet. I want to be a person who is possessed with a passion to be holy because that was the atmosphere in that holy of holies. And God is most pleased when he finds people who are most interested in being holy, totally consecrated to him, dedicated to him, serving him with all their hearts and freeing themselves as much as possible from any sin that might be there. Oh, and he's, he's the world's greatest king. Solomon is probably the world's greatest king. Did you know that it took Solomon seven years to build the temple? And oh, what a temple it was. Great reading. Read all of the details, the, the elaborate appointments throughout the entire temple. And, and, and once all of the best materials that were available were used, then, then that was all covered with layers of gold. It was a beautiful temple. Seven years to build it. But did you know that he took 13 years to build his house? 13 years to build the palace. I won't say a lot about it, just this. Maybe this will be enough. That palace was fit for a king. Is this palace fit for a king? The world's greatest prophet, priest and king have come to live in me and in you. How can we be the best host possible? Marion and I attended our son's graduation exercises at Asbury College many years ago. Charles Colson was the guest speaker and uh, when he was introduced, he stood up and said a lot of nice things about the college. And then he pointed to a sign that hung behind him up near the ceiling that said, Holiness unto the Lord. And Charles Colson said, That sign ought to hang over the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. Holiness unto the Lord. Can I be what would make him comfortable? 
Can I be something that would make Jesus Christ feel at home in me? I don't know if I can remember the words, but Andre Crouch wrote them. How can I say thanks for the things he's done for me? Things so undeserved, yet he gave to prove his love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am, all that I hope to be, I give it all to thee. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being a Christian and then of knowing beyond that that the one who saved us lives in us. This Thanksgiving, above all else, I want to thank you for God the Son who lives within. In Jesus' name, amen.